So? The prints, the handwriting. I'm not asking you as a cop, but I am a cop. I can't prove this. Just because you can't prove it doesn't mean it's not true. Easy, dirty, Harry. Finish the book. Welcome to another wonderful episode of The Fear of God. I am one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse. Um, you know, usually with me is old friend of nigh on two decades. He, he, he's an encyclopedia of, of, of knowledge and esoteria. I think I just made that word up. Um, Reed Lackey, you know, typically he is, he is with me. He's here. He is ready to go. We're ready to talk about a movie, maybe some other sort of silliness and, and ribald conversation to be had. But he was saying he needed to step out for some animal crackers. I don't really, I mean, it's kind of an odd, I mean, Reed is a snack kind of guy. So it's not totally weird that he would want something to munch on while we recorded, but it was, uh, I'm not used to that from him. So, I mean, hopefully he'll be back soon uh, with, I guess, some animal crap. Reed! <laughs> there you are, man! Did you, Sorry, did you get me. the... I apologize if I'm chewing in your mouth, you know. Chewing in my mouth? <laughs> How do you do that? That's really disgusting. <laughs> I apologize if I'm chewing in your ear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Not, not... Not the other place. That was a that was a better opening than I gave you. So <laughs> you know, I mean, wow, uh, you'll just cut right to that during the edit. Good lord. Um, no, so so there you are. Um, Hi. did you were you able to find your animal crackers? Oh yeah, I found all the animals, all the animals, and all yes. the crackers. Found some marbles and all too. the crackers. Yep. Wow. Yep, some yep, marbles. I have no idea this- what that means. <laughs> I mean, I referenced Hook last week. That feels like another reference to the movie Hook. Yeah, that's all it uh, is. By Steven Spielberg. It's been a long day, buddy. It's been a long it's been day. A long day. But you're, it's been a long but day. But you're here. Yeah. You're yeah, here. But I'm here. And you know what? It's, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm just trying to institute some code that I talk in, you know, for the appropriateness of this episode. So see if you can cipher out all of my okay. metaphorical yes. meanderings. See if that, uh, see if that works pretty well. I will, I will go to the library in a moment and get some books. Support on, your local library. Do so. We're actually not being <laughs> facetious. Support your local library. So, uh, so Nathan. Yep. What you watching? What you reading? 
Wow. What you listening to? Listeners don't know. Well, I mean, they know that we Skype each other, but <laughs> you know, they don't see, they don't see your face. And you had this, you had this protracted pause where I didn't know if you were like, if I had a booger on my nose and you were looking at me funny, like what did, you just held this oh. face for a moment before you started singing. I didn't know what you were about yeah. to do. So I was just taken aback as everybody else. Trying to keep things puzzling for you. So, yeah. Woo! You, you, you did it. <laughs> um, I, what am I watching, reading, listening to? So I, had we I referenced this a couple of weeks ago. So my wife and I finished Master of None season two. Oh yeah, yeah. Which is I still need to check that show out. Man, it is. It will now. I may overhype it to you. So so I don't know. I don't know if you have a similar. You didn't watch Parks and Rec, so so your your level of affection or or access for the lovely little Aziz Ansari is not quite the same as mine. I, I loved him in Parks and Rec. I enjoy his stand-up generally. I actually got to see him live here in here in Charlotte oh, um, wow. about about 18 months ago, two years ago. And so I just generally enjoy him. <clears throat> As a little preface to that, he wrote a book. Gosh, what was the name of that book? I did not plan to talk about it, so I didn't look up the name of it. But he has a book on dating, which I thought, I'm going to listen to that, not because I'm in, in the dating scene, but because I like Aziz and I want right, to support right. him. I was stunningly surprised at how not... And how little that book was what I expected it to be. It's called Modern you know, Romance. There you go. Thank you for doing that. No That's what you're there no for. No problem. Thank you. You're a good man. <laughs> um, Charlie Brown. <laughs> uh, so, yes, Modern Romance. Um, ostensibly, he pitched it as, like, you know, technology and dating. Like, what's it like to be a, a person, a single person in t- t- 2015, whenever the book released? Well... You know, these comedians will come out with these books sometimes and you think it's just sort of an extension of their, their comedic persona. So I, that's what I was sort of anticipating. Sure. Dude, it is, it is deep. It is deep. Really? He like part, yeah, he like partnered with this, like, he's probably not this, but like, I'm going to say this MIT person, but it was this some like really smart academician who they studied like technology and the, the arc of romance and dating in the last century. Wow. It is very researched. The point of all of that is it made sense why I was surprised at the depth and maturity of master of none. Um, so it, it I mean, you know, for a guy who ostensibly is just this little comedian guy, he really has a lot to say and is doing it with a surprising level of liberty on Netflix, The Master of None. Season one is really good. Mm-hmm. If you like season one, ultimately, in watching it, you will really like season two. If you don't like season one, you, it may just not be for you. Oh, gotcha. Um, yeah. But very good stuff. Very good stuff. So, yes, I've been watching Master of None season two. Nice. Nice. What, what about you? What about you, So, um, I discovered... The listeners don't know my reading habits in general, but I tend to have uh, either two or three. I think we get a, I think we get a good idea. <laughs> you know, Fangoria. Uh, uh, yeah, of course. Right, right, right. <laughs> I, I tend to have two or three books sort of in play at, at, at a time because on some days I may feel like I want something a bit lighthearted and popcorn, which is why I'm uh, about a fourth of the way through. No, more like a third of the way through End of Watch, which I'd referenced before. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I usually have something that is, you know, a bit outside of the realm of my comfort zone, something a bit different, and then I'll have something that's usually spiritual or philosophical in nature. And so I want to point out I'm only just discovering the work of one Mr. Walter Wangeren Jr. 
and mm-hmm. his stuff blew me away. I read a book called The Manger is Empty. It's sort of a, just a collection of general creative writing. Some of the stories are narrative. Some of them are uh, sort of like dreamlike metaphors. Some of them are poetry. And it's just this collection of thematically linked material. And it's beautiful and inspiring. And I had to set the book down like five or six times because I was getting teary eyed. And it's powerful. And it's, uh, he is a person of faith like we are. And it is very, very moving and touching. Now, granted, this is the only book that I've read of him. The manger is empty. But if the rest of his material is anything, even in the ballpark of this, which I imagine it has to be, um, he's, he's somebody that I'm going to be, very much looking forward to seeking out the rest of his material and and reading more of his stuff because yeah it was it was phenomenal i can't recommend that book and by extension him highly enough yeah i am familiar with the name i have not read any of his material i don't know how much time you spend on this website but would encourage you and and listeners andrew peterson's rabbit room hmm. site you know what i'm talking yeah, about yeah i know where you're talking about i don't visit it but yeah i know where you're talking well, about well it's they, it features a blog um but the rabbit room is sort of i i, I I haven't, I don't know this to be certain, but the impression I get is at this point, it's actually its own sort of publishing imprint or, oh, wow. or is trying to be. But up until now, it's just been a gathering of sort of like-minded arts, faith folk. But Wangerin is one of his featured people on Rabbit Ring. Sure. So oh, that wow. name crosses my path a lot. Um, you well, would cool. love that book. You would, I mean, I know. Oh man, you I would know. love that book. You would get so excited about that book. Now I just, now I just got to learn to read. <laughs> um, <laughs> how do you expect them to read if they can't fit in the building? Um, that's <laughs> I don't even know where to go from Zoolander. I don't I know. know. Like, do you, yeah. Do you remember you and I going to see that in college? I do. That, like we referenced last week on 28 Days Later, I didn't care for that movie the first time around. And I think. Well, you, I actually, I actually don't love it. Yeah, I, uh, I, I just think it's got some funny, some funny quotables to it. I remember distinctly, and hopefully you've come a long way since these days. This is like circa 2000-ish, 99, I'm sure. I would hope I have. I, rem- <laughs> I, I would hope so, too, because this is a very bad statement on your part. What? But you said, something- <laughs> you said something in reference to going to see Zoolander, the two of us. You were like, I don't, I don't really like comedies or something along those lines. And I just remember that and be like, wow, yeah, I don't right. know if we can be friends. And here we are. <laughs> <laughs> low, low these almost two decades later, making each other laugh. That's so Making funny. the people laugh, being comedic. I'm a, I'm a funny guy now, thanks to one Mr. Nathan Rouse. You are. You, you, well, you frequently take credit for making me funny. So, you know, listeners take that. Do I frequently take, you didn't have to say that. You make me feel bad now. At first I thought you were patting me on the back, then you slapped me in the face. Um, <laughs> it's kind of how comedy of, works. Yes, exactly. Speaking of stabbing in the back and, shooting in the face let's just jump into this movie like this is there's no way around it so today read in case you are unsure (laughs) i know you just have this like (laughs) rolodex of (laughs) notes on horror slash thriller movies that we just pull from at a a moment's notice we are today discussing Ernest scared stupid david fincher's You studied at the Nathan Rouse School of Comedy for that one. Uh, random interjections of asinine comments. Um, I, I am an expert. Um, 
So no, we are not today discussing Ernest Scared Stupid. <laughs> you know, I, I I issued a moratorium for a bit on Batman Superman, and you're just taking it and running with it. <laughs> oh, I, I can dig it. I, I can it. dig it. So no, today we are discussing David Fincher's Zodiac. Yes. Um, yes. which is this is a good movie. Oh, it's such um, a good movie. So great. When I was, so I've got some fun little non movie related trivial bits, but Mm. the first time I've seen this twice now. Okay. The first time we watched it, uh, my wife and I watched it together. And this is before she developed a a strong, uh, uh, sensitivity towards watching, you know, scarier stuff that she does now. Um, maybe, I don't know, maybe Kim and Kids or whatever. Mm. But anyway, so we're watching Zodiac the first time about seven or eight, nine years ago, whenever this you know, first hit, uh, home viewing. And, you know, the movie leads with it being based on a true story, right? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's the opening well, title card. Well, I remember distinctly, I don't, I don't, I, I think this is where it came up. The scene towards the end when Hall, which is a great scene and we'll get to this scene, but for the moment, just, just as a bookmark where Hall's in the house of that guy, the movie. Oh guy. yes. Vaughn is his name. Good. And brief. I, I don't know if I pause it or just, it, it's not the kind of thing I would be like putting the flashlight under my chin and saying, Oh, by the way, <laughs> but the way she tells it, the, I might as well have that. I happen to just sort of mention that, that it was an unsolved crime. Right. Right. And that totally changed the movie experience for her. Oh she was like, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? They, they haven't solved it. It's like, yeah, it's like an unsolved crime. Like, why, why am I watching this? <laughs> you know what I mean? It would like, absolutely upended the experience for her. <laughs> oh my god. So so we always we always joke about that. The other the other fun little uh uh intro to talking about this movie is so there there's a hell of a cast in this movie, oh, but no the kidding. other night when I was telling my wife that I was watching this for the show, uh rewatching it and she was like, "Your boyfriend's in that, isn't he?" And I said she's making fun of me and and cuz one, I'm a I'm a avid mark ruffalo fan sure yeah and i just my, my response was actually instead of singling him out i said yeah all of them <laughs> you know i mean it's i love jake gyllenhaal sure. yeah i love rdj yeah. mark ruffalo can do no wrong to me so it was it's it's just a heck of a movie yeah it, i mean it, it really is and it's something i wrote down i'll get the silly trivial bit out of the way i said is this the origin story of tony stark and bruce banner <laughs> right, <laughs> but uh right. well you know it's funny you'd make that joke uh for the for the extreme comic nerds in the audience there's a very famous iron man story called demon in a bottle where he he is an alcoholic and sort of the the bedlam that ensues from him going on these benders. So yeah, oh my gosh. I mean maybe yeah, it is. Yeah. So so it <laughs> right. that was where they got their inspiration actually, not from the true exactly. true life zodiac crimes. Um, right. But they actually, you know, uh, it's something casting all facetiousness aside, and you can feel it when you watch the film. They did an incredible amount of research in putting this film together. David Fincher, the director. The screenwriter, James Vanderbilt, and the producer, Brad Fisher, spent 18 months conducting their own independent research into the Zodiac murders. They interviewed witnesses. They interviewed family members. They interviewed suspects. uh, They interviewed retired and current investigators. They interviewed the only two surviving victims, and they interviewed the mayors of San Francisco and Vallejo. So they did an intensive amount of research, and you can feel it when you watch the film. Everything feels so cohesive, and it feels so assured. And it, I, I, sort of wrapping a bow on that, 
they were so invested in maintaining the accuracy of these depictions, these settings, these events. Um, naturally, the film, the entire piece is heightened for dramatic effect because David Fincher is also a skillful storyteller. But there are very few, if any, narrative beats that don't directly reflect something that actually happened. I mean, this is sure. not only based on a true story, but very much rooted in reality, uh, both in its well, tone you, and... Well, I mean, you know, it, it would almost be ridiculous for him to have done this if it weren't, but you almost get bowled over by the sequences like, I'm not even referring to specific scenes, but like, and then two days later, five hours later, yes, right. six, six, six days yeah, later, sure. like in, in quick succession moments like that, you're like, okay, there's, there's definitely some, some research behind this. No question. Yeah. No question about it. And I think the film, it's, it's honestly, I think seven is probably my favorite David Fincher film. But I think if I were to, I love the 90s. <laughs> but I think if I were to take a step back, I think this objectively might be his best. It's such a strong, assured piece of work. Sure. It's I mean it's it's so and and it's so interesting too because it's almost entirely character driven. Now granted these were real people, which is all the more impressive for the sheer minutia he's trying to slap on the screen. Yeah, absolutely. Like, Absolutely. The labyrinthine plot. I mean, there are moments where I'm like, I'm not even totally sure what they're chasing at the moment. <laughs> right. But I like these people. Who's the and suspect I'm gonna, now? Right, yeah. right, right. And yeah. I'm going to follow them. But uh, and now I have not, and, you know, slap me on the wrist for not being a good podcast investigator here. I have not read Robert Graysmith's book. I have not read the book that, that this was based on. Jeez, I read. Know. Call myself a podcaster. Call yourself literate. Hey, I read. You, Nathan, I read. Um, and <laughs> so I, uh, but yeah, I, I have not read the book that it's based on, but this film almost makes me want to. But then at the same time, I'm almost like the book can't be any better than right. this film is. <laughs> like right. this film is so assured and strong. And yeah, it reminds me of something. So uh, getting into something that is, that is possibly a move into scares uh, and not skipping over likes, dislikes, but just possibly references to that, that, uh, it's actually something that if you were to think about the fact, like your wife did, that this is unsolved, the film actually makes a pretty, a pretty strong case for who, who it actually was. But the unsolved right. nature of it reminded me of a film that I doubt we would ever do a whole film, a whole episode about this movie, but I wanted to bring attention to a fictional work called The Pledge. Have you ever seen the, the, the movie The Pledge starring Jack Nicholson? It's directed by I Sean Penn. I can't Pan. remember if I've seen it. Uh, I, th I don't remember. I, I know what you're talking about. I remember the box art yeah. monster stuff, but I don't remember if I've seen it or not. I actually, you know, to further substantiate the, the comment that I read, because I do, <laughs> support your local library. <laughs> we know, Reed. We know. But uh, I'll go to the library and I will just browse the new release shelves and just grab things that I think look interesting. And yes, that's judging a book by its cover, but I've discovered a lot of interesting things by doing that. One of those visits to the library, I came across a book uh, by a man whose name I'm going to badly pronounce, but it's uh, Frederick Durenmatt, I think. It was translated into English, and it uh, was about this detective story. And the interesting thing about The Pledge, huge spoilers for The Pledge are about to commence, so skip forward two minutes if you don't want this spoiled. It's a, it's a mystery that Jack Nicholson's character is trying desperately to solve, a murder mystery, and what was fascinating about that movie, and a little depressing, is that he solves it, he gets it right, and they set up a trap. It's a long shot trap. They set up a trap to bait the killer. And they already know that if this, if this person shows up to take this bait, then that person is the killer. Period. And Jack Nicholson is right, and we the audience know that he's right. 
but he never shows up. And it drives Jack Nicholson into insanity, literally. So he it never shows up. The killer never shows up. The case remains unsolved indefinitely. And sure. we, the audience, learn that on the killer's way to take the bait, he got into a fatal car accident. Oh, wow. On his way to take the bait, something else happened and claimed his life, and it never it never came to fruition. So this, so this case remained indefinitely unsolved. And one of the things sure. that I find so fascinating about Zodiac is they, they call out at the end of the film, um, they were going to charge Lee Allen with those murders and he suffered a heart attack before they could. Right. Right. And that's why in at least three towns, the case remains unsolved. I'm like, wow, that is so. It's just so fascinating to think about. It's frightening to think about, but it's also just immensely fascinating to to ponder those kind of co- coincidences. Well, uh, it is funny, and <clears throat> this will be a bit more in trivial bits. I did enjoy, and I don't have IMDb up in front of me. I'm a bad uh, host here, <laughs> but the act the actor who plays Lee is the same stinking creepy dude from The Invitation. Yeah, I mean he's always. Yes. Like that, John Carroll kind of Lynch role, is that but, actor's name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the minute you see him on screen, you're like, okay, yeah, you're, yeah, that's guy. the guy. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's your suspect. Yes, <laughs> yes, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's really fascinating. These these unsolved crimes, these unsolved mysteries. You know, there's always that that imminent threat of like, oh, well, the the killer was never found, so that means you know, obviously, the killer's still out there somewhere, but. People really in, in real life, they really sensationalized this, this Zodiac killer into a larger than the physical person ever even intended or, or ever, well, maybe not intended. He clearly wanted media attention and wanted media sensationalism, but more than he ever probably imagined that he would go to, just the, the mythic persona of the Zodiac killer is, is staggering. My, my really only sort of like dislike um, and this bleeds back into what I was mentioning about that novel, The Pledge, is I love the scene where they're at the movie theater watching a movie about the right. Zodiac Killer. And then um, Robert Graysmith and Dave Toskey, which are Jake Gyllenhaal and, and uh, Mark Ruffalo in the film. Ruffalo. They have an exchange and Gyllenhaal tells him, you know, they, they shoot him in the chest at the end of the film. And Ruffalo's like, yeah, nothing right. like nothing like due process, huh? He says, I think he says that to a passing uh, moviegoer who's like, yeah, they caught him in that. And it just is this great, subtle illustration of the dip. Even though we're watching a film, we are watching a fictionalized right, right, version right. of this. But it was really telling to me that they included a moment like that, which so compartmentalizes the difference between the reality of a situation and the sensationalized fiction of a, of a situation. Um, and so I just found but that. It also, but it also validates what you're talking about in terms of the research they've done in the movie and also the character-driven nature of the movie. Like, you can't set out to make a movie like this in my head, so, so I, I suppose there could be challenges to this notion, but the movie has to be about the characters because it can't be about the plot. Right. Because the plot won't end. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So, you know, you're illustrating the exact point that in the movie, they are wrestling with the reality of, we may never be able to get past this. And and that's brushing out to some theme stuff, but, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's a multi-layered movie. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Um, it, it is, 
it is riveting because even people you think are or might be the killer end up not being. And I mean, it's, it's well done. Yeah. Um, very much so. I think for me, a few just bullet point <clears throat> like this, like stuff. Um, I just wrote down. Christian Shepard. Oh Where yes, <laughs> I did. I did take note of the fact that he shows up in this, and and it was, I was happy because I don't remember prior to Lost ever seeing him in anything. I know, I know. Even though I saw this before Lost, which right, was right. interesting. But um, but but the yeah. question is, was that really him? Oh, or was it the smoke monster? You know, right, posing off island, but he can't go over water, and so it was, was the it Zodiac apparition. Oh, no. I don't know. Oh, God. <laughs> um, we've got to go back. <laughs> I love some of the just dark comic. Bits in this movie mm. uh most exemplified by a great back and forth at the lakeside killing oh oh yes he so zodiac is I, I can't remember all of the dialogue but the the girlfriend oh the 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 boyfriend is talking about the money he has and you know he'll give you whatever i i'll, I'll give you whatever you want right right and the the girlfriend just chimes in and she goes she she calls out his major like He's he's a political science major, <laughs> and he he looks at her and he goes pre law. You know, it's like it's just this great like even in the absolute moment of their demise upon sure. them. Like yeah, of there's just this witty witty back and forth that's really funny. Oh, my God. There's a lot of little bits like that. You know, Robert Downey Jr. of course is is perfecting his sure. Tony Stark before before the era of Tony Stark. Absolutely. Um, I think one other just sort of bullet on the like dislike list. You can't help, and, and we've, we've brushed up against this already, even in this conversation, but you can't help but be riveted by the, the movie has this, is this fascinating examination of the interaction of law enforcement and media. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's just, it, it reminds me a little bit of The Wire, which I don't know if you've ever seen or not. I actually, and actually still haven't seen that show. I need to, it's, but it's, I still haven't seen it. It's worth watching, but, but just the relationships of civic, levels mm -hmm. you know what i mean right like right. who i mean you you said it a minute ago there's there's vallejo there's all these other little geographies with their own precincts and police forces that are interacting with the media and you well you're not this so you've got to go talk to that like just the bureaucracy element of it right but what's fascinating and impressive is the movie never really gets bogged down in that i don't think no i agree i don't think it i don't think it it suffers from it doesn't bite off more than it can chew it chews everything yes. yeah if if anything it's just trying to illustrate to you this is this is why these things happen. This is yes. why these things fall through the cracks. There are so many parties and moving parts. And how can you keep it straight when there's just so much? Right. So much, so much invested. And when the instigating force of, of, uh, villainy, the Zodiac killer himself is intentionally manipulating the media, intentionally, yes. yeah. you know, using that as the sort of progressive tool. To right. undermine the investigation, you know, and yeah. yeah, I think that's, I think that's a big, it's a large element worth pondering. I mean, we could go off. You and I have a tendency and we're, we're, we're not even in themes yet, but you and I right. have a tendency to sort of, when we get into little political conversations or where we get into our opinions about current administration or political or social trends, I don't know how frequently we've really hammered this down, but there is an extreme amount of culpability to the lack of responsibility in the mainstream media. I mean, in, in a, across the board, there are so few media outlets that you can find trustworthy, that you can find to be above manipulation, above sensationalism, above like 
parsing out the parts that they tend to lean towards, you know, spin, spinning the story one way or another. Um, it's just so challenging. Not that there's no place that you can go to find civil, civil balanced information. There are, there are a few outlets out there, but the widespread sort of ethos of media right now is to get the clicks, get the, you know, get the button pushed and sex and terror sells. And they, well, but I, 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 I know, I know you didn't mean to go down this path, but it's, I, I won't vehemently, but I do want to push back a little bit because on the general, I don't really disagree in the sense that I'm with you. It's hard to find sort of a trustworthy outlet that I, I can just sort of understand what's happening in the world around me kind of way. I will think, I do think that there are, and I'm not, I'm not absolving the culpability, but I do think there are market forces associated with all that. You know, there's advertising that's of it's money. It's, of it's all that sort of stuff that, you know, is this just this massive slippery slope. I do think what we're talking about here though, the root of it in terms of this story this is before all of that, right? You know, right. this is before nearly the level we're at right now. And to that point, even watching a movie like this, <clears throat> I didn't, I didn't really mean to to drill down on this as a thematic element. We're not even at themes, but I was telling my wife recently about, you know, your, your, your talking point just a minute ago about media and, and culpability and that sort of thing. I want to feel like I want to think, and in many ways, I do think there is, the ship is trying to write itself, at least on certain sources and outlets and, mm. and, you know, organizations. This is a moment in our culture right now where it's almost inspiring. And it's like, wow, could it, could I be a journalist? Like the, the, mm. the, the work being done to try to get to the beating heart of what's happening in our specific culture right now. I know you didn't mean to go down this rabbit hole, but no, no, I, it's I, I understand where I, I understand what you're saying. I just think. I want to be careful and not just blanket dismiss quote unquote mainstream media, which I personally don't like that phrase because it feels, it feels, it feels overly dismissive in a way that doesn't quite do justice to those people who are really trying to do the work right. out there. Well, and I guess I should also, I, sh I should also say that I'm being a bit unfair in the fact that I would lump in. There's a difference when you're talking about the San Francisco Chronicle, which this film directly has a connection to that's where right. robert gray smith and paul avery worked so it, there's a difference between when you're talking about the san francisco chronicle or the washington post or something like that and talking about like uprocks or reddit or some you know like there's a difference between your when you're talking about the the media outlets that are print publication intending to be high profile journalism and the sort of more sensationalist brand of no, I, I understand. wanting to get the clicks, wanting to get the, right, you know, right. the, the hits on their website, et cetera. I do think that those are two different intentions and two different brands and strain of media. The problem right now is because it's all in your Facebook feed that the lines are very blurred. Whatever the lines, sure, however sure. distinct they may be inside the offices of those establishments to us, the consumer, those lines are very fuzzy and you have to be, right. you know, you and I tend to be more meticulous and a bit more researched and discerning in, you know, we don't just share random articles. We, if we see something that sort of incenses us a bit, we will drill down on it a little bit to see its, its veracity. But that's something that not a lot of people do. It just bleeds right. together. Right. And so, and right. that's where, that's where I sort of, you know, and, and maybe this is something that, 
is just a a place where we would diverge a bit, which is is totally fine. It's a little uncomfortable for me, but it's totally fine. I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> but like like that's something where I would just I would point a little bit of a finger of responsibility of like, hey, you guys over there, you're you're poking the bear. Like you're you're trying to incite some some feeling or emotion about this political storm that we're in. And again, that I'm not pointing to like a San Francisco Chronicle or I'm not pointing to a, a specific news outlet. I think that there can just be a trend in media when media acts irresponsibly to further sure. a narrative versus getting at the heart of the truth. Because I do feel like most journalists get into the profession to get at the heart of the truth, that they get right, into right, it because right. they want to uncover the truth and, and reveal the truth to the people. I feel that that's, right, the, that's right. the honor of the profession and that's the task, the calling of the profession. I, do, I don't sit with some people who would be like, oh, it's all fake news, it's all media. I definitely don't sit in that camp, but I also don't sit in the camp where I'm like, you know, hey, I'm going to auto automatically share this because I saw it on the internet, and so it sure. has to be true. Oh, you know, totally, like, totally. Yeah. So I think just just some balance. Well, but there. but but also, you know, to to bring it back into the movie, like the movie is such a perfect illustration of a freaking bygone era, but is is a a proto version of what you're talking about um, on a certain level because yeah. what happens is the killer in in the film or and and in the real story, I suppose, to a certain degree manipulates the media. No, he, he definitely you know, so, does. So, so, you know, at a certain point, you know, in your culpability sort of argument, okay, well, they sort of become responsible for the things they then publish or, or act on based on a manipulated, untrue source, sure. you know, unreliable source. Anyway. Yeah. Yes. I, I just, I just think it's, we, we, we always, and, and I don't think you would disagree with this, but you know, we just always run the risk when we, A, don't check multiple sources. That's journalism 101. <laughs> sure. Um, but B, also don't just walk with a discerning eye. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, One final note on that that does directly tie back to the movie. They did the creative team, you know, Fincher, Vanderbilt, Fisher, the producer, screenwriter, director. They, uh, studied a film called All the President's Men. Have you ever seen that? Oh, film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is yeah. a. Yep. I mean, it's it's not a horror film at all, but that is a wonderful film. You want to have? I mean, that's the Woodward and Bernstein. Yeah, right? it's the Woodward and Bernstein story yeah. about how they they um, wrote Watergate. uncovered the Watergate scandal. It is. If I mean, you want to talk about a film that I think has a tremendous respect for the profession of journalism, but has also a very strong understanding of what it takes and what it does. Uh, that's a powerful, powerful film. And they, the creative team behind Zodiac studied that film and in many ways mirrored the tone and tried to replicate that for for this film and i think that that shines through well i, I think and i know you would you would say this but you know it's it's always so easy to look back and say hey that got it right you know whether we sure, are talking sure. whether whether fincher is talking about all the president's men and woodward and bernstein in the 60s or zodiac the movie is talking about the early 70s and this crime element that played out or it's us looking at a seven, eight, nine-year-old movie and examining, looking back. So I think it would be fascinating to know and, and, and want to encourage you and encourage myself and encourage listeners to say in the way that you can't just carte blanche ignore all that's out there. Right. You also can't just take it at a single source. What I'm trying to say is there are people and there are journalists and there are outlets doing strong, good work, trying to 
get to the heart, as you said, heart of the truth in, in whatever right. story that looks like. And we, we do ourselves a disservice by complete being completely shut off to that. Anyway, I know that's a random diatribe yeah. and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to return to some of these ideas and themes, I'm sure, but sure. let's, let's, let's jump in before we get too far, um, too far down the way to the scares because for a movie that is dealing so heavily with, um, civic engagement and law enforcement and media, there's, there's, there are some creepy scenes oh, and well, well constructed scares in this movie, scary elements. Absolutely. Um, what, what's, what's one off the top for you? Well, I think the, the most unsettling and unnerving moment is one that you mentioned earlier when, uh, Gray Smith is in Vaughn's house. And oh. he's, oh. and when, so good. oh, and it's near the end of the film and yep. he doesn't realize until he actually like is there in the home with him. Uh, and, and the guy is asking him to go down into the basement with him. It's just, oh my Lord, it, that is a scene so fraught with tension. Like I, I, I know what happens and I'm so uncomfortable every time I watch that movie. Like, oh yeah, it's, well, terrifying. it's just such a well constructed sequence with the lighting and the pacing and the editing and the, and the acting. Forgive me if this is a stupid question, though, but but that particular character is not a bad guy, right? Uh, well, the no, he's certainly not the bad. guy. No, 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 not according to Robert Graysmith. Robert Graysmith's eventual right, right. investigations lead him to a different suspect. Right. Um, well, to Lee, but right. yeah, it leads him to Lee. But um, but yeah, it's still still deeply unsettling. But no, I, I yes, I asked that question simply to prop up how strong that scene is because it isn't the bad guy. Right? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like. The, the tension is so palpable and you as the viewer are so suddenly like on the edge mm-hmm. and Joan Hall is so unraveled at that point. Yeah. You know, that, that he starts seeing ghosts and shadows everywhere. So yeah, that's a great scene. I, I'm remembering that moment again and how like I, when I was watching the movie, I had to look away <laughs> like, oh, and funny. nothing, nothing happens. Like nothing happens in that scene, but it is so tense. I, I, I just feel silly because I was like, Oh man, I can't, I can't watch this. this well, it too- ends on such a fantastic button when this, the shot is framed where Gyllenhaal is just inside the doorway of the home. And what did you say the character's name was? Vaughn. It's, it's his last name, but it's the only one I remember. Right, right, right. And he joins the scene, but you see him in the mirror. Yes. You remember that? Yes. Oh my like, gosh. He's not, he's not on camera. Oh my gosh. The, the, you know, it's a, it's a perfectly executed sequence. Yeah. Um, so yes, that was on my list. I gotta say that opening scene is great. I mean, oh, yes. the, ten- oh, yeah. the tension. Um, the hurdy gurdy man song. Good lord. You know, so I, th- this is, this is brushing up against some themes, but something this movie does really well. Part of it is the length of the movie. Part of it is how well made it is. You know, it's, it's what you want any scary movie to be able to do, but so few can do, which is almost beginning to end. You're a bit on edge by just the normalcy of life. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Oh yeah. Of course. People, people are unraveling due to the events of the circ, uh, uh, that they're involved in that opening sequence when they're out at that make out point and the car pulls up. And sits there. Oh my gosh. And then the car pulls away. And they sit there. And then the car comes back. Oh my gosh. That is, that is a jacked up sequence. And comes speeding back. Because, like, yeah, like, because you could, back. you could almost, you could almost make the case like, you know, I, I you know, uh, far be it for me to speculate on what goes through these guys' creators' minds sometimes in crafting some of these moments, but 
in a, in a, let's say a more, um, traditional or less or a more lazy version of this movie, all you need is the car to pull up behind them the first time. Sure. Right. Of course. Mm-hmm. And then the guy gets out and kills them and we're all like, Oh my God, he killed them. Wasn't that horrible? Right. But instead what you get is the car pulls away. Oh my God. And you're like, Oh, well, that was a little weird. And then the car comes oh my back. Gosh. You're like, oh man, it's so well, so well executed. Well, and right on, right on the heels of that, and maybe this is really my number one because it follows not one but two murder scenes. When he pulls over the woman with the baby, no, oh, the, the whole thing, terrible. and then she that's gets terrible. in, and he's like, "I didn't know you had a baby." That entire that entire sequence, oh my god, until that until that story until that mini story is done is just devastating, it's horrible, and how, how relieving it is to find when when you realize like, okay, all right, they made it, they <laughs> they didn't they didn't get killed. Oh, good well, Lord. you know what's funny about that is it's been years since I've seen it, so I didn't remember a that that scene happened at all, or b that the baby survives. Oh my gosh! So the, on the rewatch, I'm like. Oh God! <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it is it is fraud because yeah. I can compartmentalize and I can be a good media consumer that can say this is not real, this is not real. But then you're like, but I'm a dad and this is real, and oh my God, uh, yeah, you know? no kidding. Well, and in general, you 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 told that rather jokey story about your wife earlier, but the factuality of these murders is terrifying. Like yes. the fact yeah. that this this yeah. took this took place. You know, I mean, we we we've harped in earlier episodes about the whole based on a true story trope. But in a film like this, where it is, it's, it feels so realistic, despite its sensationalism. Right. It feels so grounded in reality. Yeah. The, the, the scene by the lakeside where he's, he's stabbing them. Oh. I mean, it's just, oh. it's so direct that it is, is completely horrifying. It is utterly horrific that this, that this actually happened to these people. Um, yeah, that's, that's a terrifying, that's a terrifying thought. Well, and, and I think, and this, you know, we can start to creep towards themes if you want. Sure. This sure. is sort of brushing up against it, but I didn't have any more scares. So if you want to just dive in, yeah. Uh, this is a, a doorway into one of the themes I had. What's interesting and powerful about what makes this movie scary is there is no pattern. And what I mean by that is in the first scene, it's two, characters out at night at like a makeout spot. So, so geographically that's where they're at. Um, the lakeside scene, it's daytime. Uh, yeah. It's this mm-hmm. idyllic kind of picturesque romance scene. Goodness. That is, that is shattered by his presence. There's the cab ride. There's the mom and the baby. There's nothing connecting these characters is the point I'm trying sure, to make. Yeah. And, 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 and I'm, I'm going to dovetail this into, into some theme stuff. So one of the themes I wrote down is facts don't matter. Hmm. And what's fascinating about this movie is, and, you know, I wouldn't have even thought about this until just now. I mean, the events of the movie are late sixties, seventies up through 91. Uh, the movie itself was made post nine 11. Right. There is this kind of terrorism sort of thing going oh, on, yeah. I think. Yeah, I understand that. Um, you know, the, the movie, what I wrote down is the movie does a great job of making you feel like everyone is out to get you. Yes. And the facts don't matter phrase 
really rung out to me a minute ago. You were saying something and, and it sparked. It wasn't me ignoring you. It was you inspiring me. You like how I did that? I do like that. Um, I like how you backhanded me into the skin. <laughs> no, no, that was a compliment. Um, there's this really powerful moment late in the movie when Hall is pitching years later, Lee as the killer and Ruffalo is trying to rebuff him, you know, just keep saying it's over, right. it's over. And what he says to him is he says, do you know how many people have died or been killed? I can't remember his exact phrase. Do you know how many people have been killed or died since the Zodiac days? Yes. Yes. And this is the essence of terrorism, right? Mm -hmm. The facts don't matter. Yes. And, and we are living in that world right now. Yeah, absolutely. Which is, which is to say, you're going to take all my guns away. Well, you seem to be ignoring the facts that no one is trying to take all of your guns away. Mm. You know, the, uh, the, the, the Muslims are out to kill all of us. Well, you seem to be ignoring the fact that that's just not true, that it's actually, you know, like the, the disparity of, of, uh, crazed white previous domestic abusers or the like are actually really doing a lot of damage right now. The, the facts just don't matter in a culture. And, and what's scary to me about the events of this movie is this is an isolated story mm. in the movie. Mm. But it's really prescient to where we're at. Sure. Which is, and I didn't mean this even as a, as a journalistic news comment, the facts don't matter. Right, right. But we are just, but now I'm seeing that correlation now too, but that's just a scary place to be as an individual as a group, as a culture, as a country, mm -hmm. <laughs> when I can show you two plus two and you're like, sorry, three. Yeah. It just is. It's just three. Like, well, well, no. Yeah. It's, it's three. You know what I mean? It's a scary sort of place to live when we are, we are creating an environment. We are creating it. It is being perpetuated by everybody. Right. That forces you to jump at shadows. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing that, ahead. one thing that you're kind of scratching up at for me is actually a line from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. There you go. Um, one of the, one of the lines early on in the film, he said, archaeology is the study of fact. If you want truth, the philosophy class is down the hall. And wow. you talk about the, you know, facts don't matter. Junior. In Indiana. <laughs> we named a dog Indiana. Um, but, you know, you talk about the, the facts don't matter. And there's a line in the film, and I wrote it down. And I can remember when I was wrestling over preparing for the conversation we were going to have about this movie. I said, I don't know how I'm going to address this line. Like, I don't know which direction I'm going to attack this line from. And you've just illustrated this wonderfully, I think. The line that I wrote down is what Jake Gyllenhaal, playing Robert Graysmith, says to Dave Toskey, played by Mark Ruffalo. He says to him, just because you can't prove it doesn't mean it's not true. Right, right. And I remember I wrote the line down, and I flipped back and forth almost hour per hour in thinking about and preparing for this conversation. about Because on one hand, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a person who tries to live faithfully in his family and friends and in the world around him, people would come at me and say like, oh yeah, well, where's your evidence of this faithful living thing? Where, where's your evidence of this? Where's your evidence of that? To which I would easily find myself saying just because you can't prove it doesn't mean it's not true. Like, right. you know, I would find, I would easily find myself saying that, but, and this is why I flipped so back and forth because it's a, it's a two-edged sword, if you will. 
because people who perpetuate a narrative that d it doesn't matter what the facts and the data say, they'll say just because you prove it, just because you can't prove it doesn't mean it's not true. And I think I may have right. referenced this on the show before. You made a call out earlier to, you know, sort of the, the stigma around Muslims in America right now. And as sensitively as I can address this, this topic from my perspective, I can remember that there was a, a, a thing that cropped up on Facebook and it was a picture of a mosque and outside the mosque was uh, a, a sign that basically purported this sort of death to America kind of mentality. Now, this sign and this picture had been... As in this was a photo? This was or, a photo. Or, this was a photo. Okay. And the photo had been dramatically photoshopped. The sign said nothing like sure. that. In fact, you right. could easily Google and find the real photo because it was... The, by the time it stumbled across my line, it had it was abundantly clear that that was a doctored photo. And you could find the real photo sure. readily abundant on the internet. But it had come across my feed because a Facebook friend had shared it. And uh, my wife and I had both sort of chimed in like, hey, that picture's fake. That's not, <laughs> you know, that, that's been a doctored photo. It's, it's, not, it's not legitimate. It's not, it's not a real photograph. Right, right. To which the person blatantly responded, yes, but it could happen. Wow. So, yeah. and, and we had shared the real one, like in a comment photo. Right, right, Had right, shared right. the real photo. Like, hey, this photo that you have shared very broadly is not real. But right. it was this exact, it was this exact thing. Just because you can't prove it doesn't mean it's not true. It was this exact idea of the facts don't matter. And I think that, you know, to be honest with you, we're having the conversation right now. So there's kind of no turning back. But I honestly don't know. I don't have some bumper sticker way to really dive in or wrap around this conversation other than to say, I do think there is a difference between facts and truth. I do think that there is a difference between the events of a story and the meaning of a story to call to call to uh you know uh, a line from the hands down worst episode of lost uh the end of jack's tattoo episode but it's one of my favorite lines in the whole series is you know leave it to lost to have the worst episode of the show I have one of my favorite lines when they find out what his tattoos say he says that's what it says that's not what it means and sure. and there's there's so many times where i'm looking at or trying to wrestle through a situation with somebody even on a personal level dealing with family and relationships and thinking through life and walking through life or in these broad sweeping sociological conversations looking at the world around us and how we engage with the world around us and the differing perspectives and the differing dynamics and trying to piece together that whole like th there i am framed as a human being to try to search for meaning Right. Now that's just how I'm framed as an individual and as a person. But I want to I want to get at meaning more than I want to get at event. But yeah, the state a statement like just because you can't prove it it doesn't mean it's not true is a tricky one. It's a it's a tricky statement. Well, and and doesn't I I've got another theme idea I want to get to but but to piggyback on where you're at and to to sort of invite further conversation towards it. I think you were sort of postulating this, but I want to really explicitly go there. Because the challenge of your example, just because just because um, you can't prove it doesn't mean not, it's not true in terms of faith and and belief in you know in our vernacular and 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 building blocks Jesus and 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 what he is and meant and does um, and will do. You still have to wrestle with the with the opposite of that, which is and and this is actually not to, this is not to pick on, but it is meant to illustrate the opposite, which is. 
a, our, our, our current president saying that I was bugged mm. and, and surveilled and everyone is saying it's not true and him saying, well, you can't prove it, yeah, which is effectively the same thing, right? Right. Just because you can't prove it doesn't mean it's not true. Right, right. right. It's the same idea and it seems to be sort of the going theme of the, the current climate in our country right now. And I guess I just think it, there are moments where I empathize and relate to kind of the atheist who's like, y'all are all crazy. Yeah. You know, sure. It is only, it is only facts that are going to win my day. And, you know, because, right. because it can be so abused. Yes. Yeah. Cause there's something, cause there's something poetic about saying, I'm okay with mystery. Let the mystery be in leftovers vernacular. That's poetic. But then, as you illustrated, the double-edged sword of that is, oh, yeah, well, you guys did me wrong and continue to do me wrong, and I'm always right, and you just don't know it yet because you can't prove it, but it's still true. You know, like that. Right. Sure. Yeah. They're, it's, it, they're flip sides of the same coin. Yeah. In a certain yeah. level. And that's what I think, that's what I find so beautiful. This is not the scripture that I had in mind to bring in, and I don't even know the reference offhand because I haven't looked it up. But when they press the blind man, at the temple, and they press him by, by saying, look, this this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He couldn't possibly have healed you because he healed on the Sabbath, and he broke this law, and he broke this law, and, and like so he could not possibly have done you good. He could not possibly have healed you. And the, the guy just dismisses them ultimately, finally, by saying, I don't know if he was a sinner or not. I just know I was blind before, and now I can see. And right. And I think that there's a challenge that we have. I think there's a difference between the pursuit of why and the pursuit of how. And I think that science in general is obscenely good at answering how. I think that's, I think that's the, the, the purpose and intention of, of how does this work? I don't think for myself personally, other than the purposes that would then get fed back into how, I don't think it's really good at answering why. Like, you know, sure. to, to, to quote something I read in a Rob Bell book not that long ago, and, you know, I'm not going to divert us into a, into a side topic about Rob Bell, but just this just happened to be where the quote came from. He's like, you know, science can tell me how I think about, you know, surfing and sunsets and everything. It can't tell me why I find them interesting. It, can, it can't, right. you know, it can tell me how I react when I get those things, but it can't tell me why they move me and why it, it right. gets into right. this other sort of this this more spiritual realm. And I think that's the, that's the tricky thing in dealing with facts and truth and in dealing with the reality. If, you know, I'm using this word with putting quotation marks around it, you know, dealing with the reality of what happened and dealing with the reality of what happened, you know, like there may be uh, on one level, a factual cold reading of a thing but that doesn't make the experience of that thing, how it tied into my history and my psychology and how it tied into my emotional state and well-being at the time, uh, any less a reality, quote unquote. You sure. Know what I'm saying? Sure. Sure. Um, boy, this is a topic. Well, well <laughs> no, no, no. I want to I want to take it. I want I want to pivot us a little bit by, by keeping some of the threads of this and going to another thematic idea that, you know, unless you had more can, can sort of. No, this is good. Start. Yeah start start to angle on finding our killer here um it was really fascinating watching this movie this time around and the movie clearly wants to meditate on by by illustrating the devastating effect this 
investigation has on the people close to it, there is a meditation happening on the nature of things like obsession. Yeah. Um, things like pursuit, even of justice. Right. Yeah. Or what, or what we might articulate as justice. And, and man, there's a way in which the movie kind of convicted me a little bit. Um, and I'll unpack this somewhat. So the, um, bullet point version of this theme is creating good versus pursuing evil. And, um, I, I'll couch it in some real world stuff. So uh, clearly, if you've listened to the show even once, you know, you'll, you'll hear me make sideways comments occasionally about the state of, of the administration and all this sort of stuff. Um, I became very, uh, as the kids say, woke uh, around November 2016 in a way I never have been to politics, commentary about it, news. I just never paid attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't, I don't champion that whatsoever. But there have been ways during this last eight months that the horses threatened to leave the stable of my sort of ability to hold all this together. Mm. And, you know, I, I, I pay attention more to news than ever before. My wife will occasionally be like, Hey, why don't you come back? You know, <laughs> join, join us, join us here. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're reading a lot more than you usually have. And, and uh, I'm not, dis- I'm not dismissing or dispensing possible good to be found in that, you know, sure. knowledge and informativeness, you know, the ability to form opinions based on the information you had that you never had before, all that sort of stuff. Right. Uh, you know, good, good stuff on a certain level. So, so you can imagine as this movie plays out and the more these people are wrapped up in something that isn't going to find resolution. Right. Right. The more frayed, the more deteriorated, Mm -hmm. the more fractured, the more disintegrated their relationships and lives become. Right. Right. Of course. And so I was really wrestling with this sort of idea. And, and that led, you know, this leads to a real practical story. Um, I have a dear friend here in town who has always been very politically minded mm-hmm. and some, somehow has been able to keep it all in check. And we had this, this is several months back. So it, it was a, a good, healthy time. Um, but I, I asked him, it was just one of those moments you have with a peer sometimes. I was like, dude, how do you do it? Like, how do you, what do you, what do you do to keep this stuff? You know, this, again, if you put it in the context of this is Nathan's first time paying attention to this stuff, right. it's overwhelming and, and will threaten to, to burst your brain, if not your spirit. And I was really kind of asking for help. Like, mm-hmm. like, what do you, what do you do this to this friend? Like, what do you do despite the fact that you pay attention to this stuff to be present and, 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 you know, not wrapped up in this mentally? And, and he had some really powerful advice and it was, you 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 know you could parse this out and there's some nuance to be had to this but he's but he said i learned to deal with what i can actually control mm. and what i can control is how i am and who i am to the people in my life right right and and that just really resonated with me as i watched zodiac this time and how and getting back to this the bullet point of the theme which is the pursuit of evil versus creating good because there's a way in which we could applaud I mean, Gyllenhaal, Robert Graysmith gets the book deal. He, he does. He, he yeah. publishes it. You know, he achieves on a certain level what he's after. Right. So on a certain, there's a case to be made that that's a laudable effort. Sure. 
Sure. But he loses so much. Oh. And all these people lose so much in the process. And, and, uh, you know, this is where I would invite some of your feedback. Like there's a way that pursuing quote unquote justice or chasing evil as they do in this movie, you know, you, you could make a case or they're just doing what's right for the common good. You know, they're, they're trying to dispense with this bad guy. And here I'm just tying all these themes together. We would then say, well, remember when Toski says, or Tashi says, but how many other people have died while you've been chasing this guy? Right. Right. You know? And so for me, as I wrestled through like my friend's advice and watching what happens to these characters, the, the version of creating good, mm-hmm. you know, like is, is the faithful life calling out, chasing down, naming evil, eradicating it wherever you can? Or is it a whole other thing that says, stop? Create good where you are. Mm-hmm. Be be a, a, a city on a hill for your family, for your neighbor, for your friends. Because these things that you have the impulse to chase after and chase down and wrestle to the ground, one, are bigger than you. But two, if you just focus on creating the good where you are and what you with what you can, those things are going to kind of work themselves sure. out. Yeah. And I'm not arguing for one. I, I mean, I do think I'm clearly saying this is a better version of living. Right. But, I, I, you know, I'm just, I don't know. This is kind of the thematic stuff that was really stirred up in a surprising way through watching Zodiac this time sure. around. So sure. take it away, Reed. <laughs> well, there's so much that you could hit on, like a couple of things that, that struck me about what you're saying. And, you know, we don't frequently in inside episodes reference external media this much, but uh, you've seen No Country for Old Men. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. One, I, yeah. I thought about a lot about you know, it. Watching this one movie. of the yeah. things that I adore about that book and about that film is that moment. Wh- we get it, Reed. You can read it, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, just kidding. that Whatever. moment where Tommy Lee Jones' friend looks at him and says, you can't stop what's coming. It's not all just waiting on you. Like, that's vanity. And I think that's, I think what's really key because we have a tendency. Ah, oh, man. We are already, we're already an hour into this conversation and this is potentially a can of worms, but we have a tendency to approach, let me define we, we as people who are entrenched in Christian circles, might be fundamentalist circles, might be evangelical circles, might be uh, more sort of progressive communities, but people in Christian circles have a tendency in our Christianese language to talk about, well, what does, what is God calling me to? Like, what does he, what does he want from me? Like, what is he, what is the one thing that I'm uniquely designed? And there's a real sort of subtext that's always kind of made me uncomfortable about like, hey, you know, God has great things planned for you. He's got greatness like planned for you and in you. And there's always been this sort of bristling in my, in my heart whenever I hear that talking about how, because then people get so racked in their day-to-day life, well, what does God want me to do? What does he want me to, you know, am I supposed to do this thing? Am I supposed to do that thing? And then then they start, in that context, they start reading the signs. They start trying to decode the puzzle, where they start trying to say, well, this conversation, I had this here, and then that led to this, and then I'm supposed to do this, and I really feel like I'm supposed to do this. And then they begin to, in a very sincere way, I'm not beating up on these people who struggle with this, but in a very sincere way, they begin to inflate their position in the kingdom and begin to inflate as if like, hey, you know, the work that I'm doing here is the most important work. What does Robert Graysmith say 
when right. his wife comes back, you know, ex, yes. I can't remember if it's ex-wife at that point or what, but comes back to him and says, why are you doing all of this? And he says, because nobody else will. And yeah. and then it, what it made me think of. Well, but but the, th- the conversation I thought you were going for is when she challenges him real forcefully. And he says, I want to look in his eyes. Yes. And she's, she basically says, you really at the expense of your family? And he's like, no. And you totally are like, man, y'all are done. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway. Yeah, anyway no, abs- no, absolutely. But what it made me think of that whole idea when he says, because nobody else will, it made me think of Esther of all people where, you know, it's like, oh, it could be that you were called for such a time as this. And Nathan, I have had conversations with friends who are traveling down a path I would deem to be destructive. I would deem sure. their general demeanor. Are you, are you trying to tell me something yes. right now? But no. <laughs> uh, this is an intervention episode of, of Fear of God. Sure, sure, um, sure. Oh, no! But the, Nathan, you need to put down your phone and stop reading the news. <laughs> but I've, I, you know, I've seen people go down this path that I would say, like, hey, this is an unhealthy attitude. This is a rather destructive attitude. This is not a good place to position yourself. And I've had them tell me, I feel like I'm supposed to do this. Uh, I'm supposed to hold this position. I'm supposed to go on this path. And they'll use like Esther language, you know, like for such a time as this or, you know, this is this is my purpose. This is my calling. This is what I'm supposed to do. And I don't know, man, I get I have said this before in other contexts. And I will say this with as loud a bullhorn as this podcast affords me and say, I still deeply believe that the greatest calling that that God put on anybody's heart in life is the calling to come home and to come rest in him. I deeply believe that whatever gifts and talents and purposes that he has laid out for you, whatever anointings he's put on you, whatever purposes he's planted in your heart that have taken root in your life and you feel like this is, you know, we talk about missed your calling and and all of these kinds of things where it's like anything that you may set out to do with your life, I deeply believe that the biggest sort of calling that has been put on any and everybody is to recognize and come home and to return home to to an awareness that they are loved, that they are loved beyond the boundaries of this world, and that the one who loves them emptied himself to make a way that they could come home to him. That is my belief. That right, is my right, right, understanding right. of the gospel, and that is my presentation of what I, how I present why I am a Christian and what I believe about it. But we get so wrapped up in the tasks or if we want to bring it back to an earlier part of this conversation, we get so locked up in the minutia, in the facts of the thing, right, right. and don't get at the heart and the truth of the thing. Because it is, make no mistake about it, whether it is good, whether it is purposeful, whether it evokes justice in the world, whatever it does, it is vanity to think of yourself right. more highly than you ought and to pursue at the expense of all else, this one ingrained, entrenched thing. Uh, yeah, Robert Graysmith loses his family. I love, goodness gracious, uh, uh, the, the actor's name is escaping me. Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards' character. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, he walks away. He walks away. It's just like, I want to see my kids grow up. Like that, that's right. his, that's his choice. Yeah. You know, and you yeah. and I have had a conversation before that I keep thinking about Nathan, cause Nathan, you're, Uh-oh. you're a smart guy. You're a really smart guy. And every once in a while you drop, <laughs> and every once in a while you drop some profound profundity onto, onto the airwaves. But you talked about, we talked about way back in our episode on Sinister on the legacy of art versus the legacy of family. Sure. And sure. 
there's something you and I had a conversation and I can't remember the context and I can't remember who really said the quote. So we'll just say that you said it because you're where I first heard it. <laughs> um, somebody somewhere you had read or heard somebody say you pick your crown like you choose your mm-hmm. crown and right. you can either select the crown of like, hey, this is get-. like for Robert Graysmith, his crown is is the publishing deal, yep. the book, Zodiac, yep. period. Yep. And the, yep. the, the end of the movie, in all fairness to him, who I think is still alive, in all fairness to the, to that person, it said that he has a good relationship with his children now. Like that, that, sure. that, sure. you know, following the aftermath of all of this. But, but look at the time that he lost. Like look at all of that, that, that he was absorbed in, in all of this other thing. And to, to just quickly finish my thought, I think that we just have to recognize that in our life, that we, we pick we we choose our crown, right? Like we pick right. our our sort of legacy, well, if you will. And, and what's fascinating, you know, talk about Grace and specifically, at least as the movie portrays him, whether this is factual or not, I don't know. And and truth versus facts, what what does it matter? <laughs> but um, I mean, more than that, Reed, he wraps his children up in aiding him in a murder investigation. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, that's jacked up. And they asked him, who, who helps you with this? Some colleagues. Oh, right. my gosh. And, you know, I think there's just this fascinating dichotomy that, because I'm with you, man, anytime someone of faith, and maybe this is an illustration of how jaded I am, or maybe it's an illustration of how enlightened I am. I don't know. It depends on the day, perhaps. <laughs> when Whenever someone you know, sort of punctuates their sort of story with the the God is calling me to this specific thing, and this is the, the dog at pursuit, and this is the direction I'm pointing, and here we go, and off we go, and nothing else matters. Like, I am always very uncertain about that. Of course. And, and, and this word pursuit feels like it keeps coming up and how I think there's a way many Christians and even, you know, you and I aren't excluded from this on a micro level. Hopefully on a macro level, we're a little bit more adjusted, but you know, even on a micro level where you think, okay, this is what God would have me do, be, or, you know, go after. And so we pursue, 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 pursue. And, and think that this is going to define us, think this is going to be a new shell of identity or, you know, create the better feeling of God that we've been looking for when, I mean, goodness gracious, so much of scriptural language of, of God to us is passive. Like, be still. Yeah. Cease striving. Yes. 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 Stop the There toil. is so, yes. right. You know, like, be still be present, look at those around you and love them mm-hmm. is effectively the call of God, yeah. right? All you who labor and are heavy laden come, I will give you rest. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and if, if we are emissaries of, of God, we're also emissaries of that same rest. Mm-hmm. Come on, come, you know, life and faith are not, are not a, hear me. I'm conscientious of the tension between run the race and that sort of, of language. Of course, yes. I think, I think we're talking about kind of different things. No, there. I get it. Yeah. Um, you know, there's run that run the race is a, is a call of faithfulness, mm-hmm. you know, right. Cognizance, presence, be aware, love those. That's the race. Mm-hmm. But the race is also one of stillness and silence and rest. Right. And peace. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and you can say a lot of things about Robert Graysmith in terms of his doggedness and his pursuit, but what you can't say is that was a peaceful life. Right. And a peaceful man. He was, you know? he was in turmoil from the moment the first letter came in. Like that. And, it, sure, and it's his sure. story. Like it's, you know, he's, right. he's sort of the anchor, even though we spend a lot of time with Ruffalo's character and a lot of time with Robert Downey Jr.'s character. Um, he's the anchor 
in, you know, in following all of this. So it, from the first Zodiac leader. And, and, you know, you, you brought up earlier or just a second ago, you know, thinking about running the race. There's a way in which somebody could approach this entire same subject and say, well, no, didn't Jesus say, you know, forsake father and mother and take up your cross and, you know, all of this other sort of stuff to, um, you know, to pursue after this. I think that it's interesting to watch people of faith digest scripture and digest public events and digest private events. It's interesting to see the psychological, spiritual and emotional framework into which they filter everything, because right. I, I, I said this on Facebook very recently as of this recording might be a little bit later as people hear it. But um, I said, as I've observed people of faith in life, I've discovered two truths and I'll tie this back into Zodiac to make my final point. I've discovered two truths. One, some people are always trying to keep people out and some people are always trying to find ways to let people in. Right. The second truth is some people are always finding the work of the devil and some people are always finding the work of the Lord. Now, I say both of those statements with really no judgment on either one. I've just found it interesting that that's the framework in which some people express their faith and express their faithfulness. And I think there's a way in which you could approach this subject and be very much the for the such a time as this. Nobody else will do this. I've got to do because because let's make right. let's no, make no mistake. Robert Graysmith gets what he wants. He gets what he wants. Sure. He looks the man that he deeply believes is the Zodiac in the eye and the film and probably his book make a good case that that's the Zodiac killer. So right, he gets right. what he tells his wife that he wants, which is to look him in the eye and know it's him. And when he says, can I help you? He says, no, stares him in the eye and then walks out. And that's and that's what he gets. That's what all right. of this added up to was to come into that moment. There's a way in which you could approach faith and living out your faith as a means to, okay, this is the pursuit. This is what I'm going to, and I'm going to run the race and I'm going to be faithful to this at the exclusion of all else. And then there is the, you know, the Anthony Edwards and the eventually the Dave Toskies who's like, no, this that's moved on. <laughs> like right, that case, right, that right. case is, is just an unresolved question. That case is just a mystery that, that, that is seal up the books. Don't write anymore. That is shake the dust off your feet. Like that is, that is gone. That is past. And the scripture verse, do you know how much I struggled with finding the scripture verse for this? Cause there was a thousand different ways to approach this story, but where I landed was this. And, and if you have anything more to say, we, we certainly can, but I know we've gone a little long. Isaiah chapter 47. Verses 13 through 14. This is a prophecy about the fall of Babylon. But these are the words, and I'm just going to let the words sort of speak for themselves, and then I'll unpack them a little bit, and then, and then we can close down. Isaiah 47, 13 through 14 says this. It says, All the counsel you have received has only worn you out. Let your astrologers come forward, those stargazers who make predictions month by month. Let them save you from what's coming upon you. Surely they are like stubble. Their fire will burn them up. They cannot even save themselves from the power of the flame. These are not coals for warmth. This is not a fire to sit by. Now, when I read that, and when I thought about this film in this context, I thought about, well, first of all, it's, it's, it's a little telling that it's Zodiac, and this scripture calls out astrologers come forward and stargazers and everything, and Zodiac is deeply entrenched into sort of astrological uh, things. But... I love that phrase, these are not coals for warmth, this is not a fire to sit by. There are certain things about which we have to simply walk away, lest we be consumed by them. There are certain sure. things that 
Whatever you focus on will consume and overwhelm you, period. And that could be a positive or a negative thing. Whatever you focus on and dwell on is going to overwhelm and consume you. And I think that as we're trying to position ourselves as, as people of faith, trying to, you could, you, you can make a strong case for, hey, justice is about stopping evil. You could also make a strong case for justice is about creating good. And, sure. and, and I don't know, there's a case to be made for both and maybe balance and tension requires that we have both. Maybe, you know, I'm certainly a balanced person. I, I love balance. I love talking about it and I try to live it. Um, maybe the case is that we need both and that we, we require both. But I think wherever you are, if you're listening to this ungainly conversation, if you're hearing all of these strands and tangents to, to weave them all together, I think you have to make a determination of, of who you are going to be and how and what crown and what efforts you are going to pursue and whether you are going to listen to the facts, whether you are going to pursue the truth, whether you're going to try to stop the evil, whether you're going to try to produce the good. You, you make your choices. And then once you've made your choices, you, you live with those choices, um, regardless of the, you know, the sort of impact or ramifications that have, that have resulted because of those choices. Well, and, and to, to put a more labyrinthine bow on that strain there, for people who've never seen leftovers, this will be utterly, uh, indecipherable. But I think of Matt Jameson talking to David Burton as God on the oh, love right, boat. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And, you know, to further that question, are you doing this for you or are you doing this for God? You know, yeah. and, and I think there's so many times we, we, and I mean that we, yeah. you know, we get, we, we confuse ourselves, yes. uh, into thinking that what we're doing is for God. When, if you just scratch below the surface, it's very much about us, yeah. our, our feeling good, our feeling right, our pursuing justice. You know, I, I, I do think, and we, we talk about him a lot and we can start to land the plane towards pumpkins, but this is not the he I'm talking about. I, I, I'm, I'm such a fan of Brian Stevenson out in the world today, who is to me kind of a very strong example of what we're talking about, which is someone who has properly weighed and seems to be, seems to be, uh, you know, I don't know him personally, but doing this sort of activism, pursuing justice, but also producing good somehow has it somehow has found that balance. If, if that makes any sense, whatsoever. Yeah. um, you know, just, just anyway, that, that's, that's, that's a, a, a tangent yeah. that we don't have to pursue. Um, regardless, read. Wow. Zodiac. <laughs> <laughs> it's a meaty um, film, man. Like, like I knew, I is. knew this conversation had the potential to go these disparate directions because it is, I mean, and we've talked for, you know, roughly an hour and a half, hour 20 or so, but you, we could easily go on for another hour and a half. I mean, there's, there's so much in this film. Listeners, if you have not seen this film, it, this is a wonderful and an amazing film. And I think everybody, I think everybody who's got the stomach for the subject matter should see it because it's, it's powerful and it's really, it's really very strong. Um, in the spirit of that, yes. shall we jump to the pumpkins? Go to the pumpkin patch. Let's go to the pumpkin um, patch then. You know, you're the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, as uh, we do on every episode, we are going to relegate a rating for this film based on uh, our own personal scale of David S. Pumpkins, the Tom Hanks Saturday Night Live character. We're going to rate these by style, by scares, and by substance. Um, I'll take the lead on style. Uh, this is... The easy, one of the easiest fives I've ever given to a film that we've discussed. I think, I don't think there is a better way to make the film that he made. Now, there could be, you know, you could argue that there are more fun films or that there are, you know, uh, films 
that are more this or more that or whatever. But if you're trying to tell this story, I don't think there's a better way to have possibly told it than David Fincher told it into Zodiac. Um, I'm going to give it a four and a half. All right. And then for scares, what did you what did you have for scares? I know this is not really like we we haven't said this yet in the episode, but this is not what you would necessarily deem a traditional horror film. You know, like we occasionally branch out into that. We've done The Gift. We've done Ten Cloverfield Lane. Right, right. You know, this falls sort of more into that. But but as we've already alluded to, it's got some some definite scares. I mean, there, there's, I mean, mood, tone. Those are sometimes as scary as content on screen. Um, Absolutely. I, I I would easily give this. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a four. A four uh, for scares. Okay. I mean I mean it's it is tense and there's a lot of tension here. And I'm gonna find another word synonymous with tense and tension. <laughs> um, no no, I'm <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a four. Um yeah, so I'm I'm right there with you. I was actually gonna give it a four myself for scares because I think it's uh yeah while not you know jump moment type of eerie it is deeply unsettling and uh, and very effective in that regard too. So four for me as well. For substance, I mean, shoot. We've had a yeah, I mean, we've only scratched the surface of the substance of this film. This is this is for me a 5 uh, as well for substance. I just think there's a lot here. Uh it, very much you could approach it from character, you could approach it from journalism, you could approach it from murder mystery. It's I mean, there's there's so much to chew on in this film and somehow all works together. So yeah, five for me for substance. Um, I'm going to give you a five. All right. Across the country. Five. All right. So that means that we give Zodiac a, I think very appropriate nine out of 10 David S. Pumpkins. I think it well deserves, it well deserves a nine out of 10. It is an outstanding film and one that, you know, we mentioned the subject matter if you're someone who's uh, disturbed by, you know, a good bit of content, uh, I think it's actually, except for those few moments that we've talked about the murder scenes, I think it's relatively palatable in terms of content. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't yeah, think there's a, yeah. the, I don't think there's a lot of, of things in it that viewers would find necessarily very offensive. Certainly not more than than your standard like CSI or or episode of you know your procedurals there. Um, so yeah, highly recommend this film. Can't recommend it enough. And if you want to continue the conversation with us, because as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end of the conversation. You can continue the conversation with us about Zodiac, about the themes we've discussed, or about anything else in a variety of ways. You can uh, go to us on uh, Twitter. That's probably the easiest and fastest way. Nathan, what is our Twitter handle? At the fear of God. You can also visit us on Facebook. You can like us there, post on one of our uh, posts, comments, uh, anything there. There's a link to that through Twitter. You can also follow me on Twitter at Reed Lackey. Nathan, where can they find you on Twitter besides the fear of God? They can find me on Twitter at the Nathan Rouse. You can also visit us at morethanonelesson.com and leave a comment on the official post for this page. Um, you can also email us, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. Guys, this is the last week to submit your hashtag I love the 90s nominations. We are going to be voting for the ranked list in the imminent future, but this is the last week to submit a film for consideration in that. So if you want your film to be considered, email us fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. Get the email in by July 1st and it will be considered. So uh, yes, email us fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. And last but certainly not least, you can go to iTunes if you listen to us through that and leave us a review. We would prof- We would profoundly appreciate you leaving us a review for that so nathan thanks so much for Reed. having this conversation with me man i really really appreciate it yeah i um 
I remember enjoying this movie the first time I saw it years ago. I, I really was taken with it this time around. So I'm glad you uh, suggested this make our list. Certainly, certainly. Yes. Um, and you can follow us on social media to find out where we're going to be going next week. And we will see you guys then. See you guys. Thanks for listening. Songs of love Then when the hurdy-gurdy man